Business Class is brought to you by the Tourism Academy, harnessing the power of science, business psychology, and adult education to advance the tourism industry and build sustainable economies. Learn how to engage your community, win over stakeholders, and get more visitors at tourismacademy.org. Hello, everybody. Steve Ekstrom here, Tourism Academy and tourismacademy.org, and you are listening to Business Class. Um, the purpose of this podcast is to introduce you to the people who make places worth visiting. Earlier this year, I had a wonderful opportunity to meet John Warren, communication specialist for Region 1 from the National Park Service, and I've invited John to be here on the podcast with me. So good morning, John. Good morning. Glad to be here. So what is a communication specialist? Um, my portfolio includes the 83 parks National Park Service sites between Maine and Virginia. Uh, so that includes a number of uh, historic sites, uh, three national parks uh, with that name, uh, and a number of uh, other sites with various um, titles. Um, we run the gamut of, of American history. Uh, we tell the story of American history, including uh, our independence story, which of course uh, starts at Independence National Historical Park in uh, Philadelphia. And that's going that's always a big deal, and it's going to be an even bigger deal in the next four years as we ramp up for the 250th anniversary of American independence. Uh, my, my job is to help them, these parks, with any um, public announcements, uh, with any press that they have to deal with. When did you first realize that you wanted to work in the parks? How was that experience for you? That's a great question. Uh, I remember being 11 years old and uh, being at Carlsbad Caverns, sitting with my mother, watching the bat talk, where the bats fly out of the cave in the evening and go looking for insects. And um, I watched the ranger give his presentation. And after a while, I asked my mom, how did he get this job? So that that really was planting the seed. Uh, as a child, uh, my parents took me to various national parks out west. and they were our happiest family memories. How long have you been with the Park Service now? I've been with the Park Service since 1989, so 33 years now. And you've held a number of different roles, I, I take it, in that time? Uh, I have worked at a few different sites. There are park employees who have worked at many more sites than I have during the same kind of period. They'll move every three years or not. I. I did not do that. Um, I, I've worked at San Antonio Missions, which was in my hometown, uh, then up to Morristown National Historical Park in New Jersey, then 13 years at Edison National Historic Site, which is now called Thomas Edison National Historical Park, then over to Gateway National Recreation Area, which is in New York and New Jersey, and now I work at the regional office in Philadelphia. Tell me about your favorite moment in the parks since you've been working there, whether that be, you know, a work moment or a personal moment visiting on your own? Uh, picking one in, instead of picking, you know, a dozen, that's, that's a pretty hard uh, choice. But the one that comes to mind right now is uh, I was giving an education program to high school students at Edison. And these were um, students who had had some trouble in their previous schools, and so they were they were pulled out. A lot of them actually had uh, been diagnosed with uh, 
with various issues such as uh, attention deficit disorder and and things like that and that was actually the cause of their so-called um, misbehavior so they were actually you know pretty bright kids and I, I sort of just dropped in a red herring about um, Edison staying up for days at a time and uh, you know working until he was exhausted and somebody picked up on that they saw that as something that that was similar to their lives. And so I suddenly had a, a, a whole group of high school students looking at Edison from the point of view as being maybe neurologically different, uh, as being someone similar to themselves. And that was a terrific moment because, you know, they, they were identifying themselves with Edison, but they were also seeing what had set them apart usually in a negative way, as, as a positive, as something that could work for them, that they could develop. That was pretty great. That is pretty good. So um, what's, a, what's a challenging day at work like for you? Well, in the regional office, it's a very different um, experience from what I had in the field when I would work at a visitor center front desk or I'd be giving a tour. I honestly would say that that's the tough stuff, um, that the rangers who are in the field uh, talking to visitors, most of whom are wonderful, most of whom really want to be there and they're really you know thankful, but you do get some challenges and um, that's that can be very difficult. I would not consider my worst day in the region as as comparable to that i really admire the rangers in the field so what advice would you give then to people who are visiting the parks a to be on their best behavior um, and b to help them make the most of the experience Gee, you know just just talk to us like you would talk to your neighbors your friends um, we're always eager to share what we know we're always happy to be able to help someone out. That's that's the joy of being in public service. We actually really like that. I would recommend that visitors look to the website before they go to the park and find out what they can know. Uh, it's it's no fun to go to the Statue of Liberty and then find out that tickets for Going into the Statue of Liberty, which is closed at the moment, but usually is open, uh, you know, we're sold out six months ahead of time or a year ahead of time. Find that stuff out first. And our websites are just full of great information for you. So when we first talked, I was literally sitting in Arches National Park. Lucky you. Yeah, it was a it was a fantastic experience. Um what are some highlights of the parks in region one? What are some that, that maybe are undervisited? There are plenty of parks that are undervisited um, all over the park service. Um, I, I love the parks out west. I, I grew up with the parks out west. I'm actually from Texas myself. Um, and so I, I really appreciate the wide open spaces that they have there and and I happen to really love the desert and places like arches. We certainly don't have, you know, those kind of um, desert landscapes in the Northeast. Uh, we have a much more lush um, 
uh, you know, forests. We have the Appalachian Forest. We have, um, you know, Acadia, which is um, Shenandoah, New River Gorge. All of these places uh, have plenty of trees, plenty of hills, plenty of places to hike. And New River Gorge also has some uh, rivers that you can you can traverse if if you feel lucky. I I don't, <laughs> but <laughs> there are many people who will take the rapids, and good for them. Just you know, prepare properly. Um, you also find on the Northeast um, uh, many more national historic sites, national historical parks, uh, some of which have to do with uh, the Revolution, a uh, few of which have to do with the Civil War. You'll find those more in the Southeast, but you find a few of them. We have Virginia, so we, we mm -hmm. have some of those also. Um, a, a few presidential sites sprinkled in there. Uh, one presidential site that doesn't get um, so much attention, but is a lot of fun, is Martin Van Buren National Historical Park, which is in Kinderhook, New York. Before, we had actually talked about some of the parks that you know people might just walk past and not even notice that are some in major cities even, where a visitor well, might be in New York or they might be in... Boston or, or some other city. Uh, what are some of those that you think folks might want to visit? Well, New York um, actually has a number of national parks, national historic sites. And uh, one of those, the newest one is Stonewall National Monument, which is in Greenwich Village in lower Manhattan. Um, and it's tiny. Uh, it, it just includes uh, what used to be a city park, Christopher Park, which is across the street from uh, the Stonewall, where uh, the first, I, nope, I can't say that, can't say it's the first LGBT kind of uprising because it wasn't, but it was in New York. And that really makes all the difference. The news notices, um, it lasted for days, and that really jump-started uh, the LGBT civil rights movement as we know it, not just in America, but throughout the world. Um, that's just one example of a, a site in New York. Another one would be Hamilton Grange. Uh, if you've seen or listened to the soundtrack of Hamilton, you know the story. We always knew the story. I always felt like Hamilton would be a great reach to audiences that we normally don't reach. Um, it is up in Harlem. Uh -huh. uh, when Hamilton was there, uh, that was in the country. There were, you know, fields and trees and whatnot. Uh, and um, of course, New York has grown up to that and far north of that, uh, and uh, is now a, a, a different place. But that's a great place to learn about uh, one of our most important, and for me, one of the most inspiring founding fathers. What about Alexander Hamilton inspires you? Well, gee, uh, so many of our, our founders, uh, I, I'm sad to say, were also um, holding enslaved people. Uh, Hamilton did not. Uh, Hamilton was a member of the Anti-Slavery Society. And one reason that he was so opposed to slavery is because he was actually not born in what is now the United States. He was born on the island of Nevis in the Caribbean. Uh, he started out as a Danish citizen, <clears throat> and um, he worked for companies which dealt with the buying and selling of slaves. And he had a lot of responsibility, even at the age of 12 and 13, he was balancing the books and he was actually running the store while people were away. But he also saw the atrocity of, of enslavement up close. And he was opposed to that for the rest of his life. I, I just also like the fact that here's someone who was born outside of marriage and outside of what is now the United States. and became not just any founding father, but the person who set our economic system uh, the way it is today. 
how do you apply what you've learned about people like Alexander Hamilton and Martin Van Buren? And how, how do you apply what the principles that they brought forth in the work that you do? Uh, well, I, you know, I, I find them all uh, very inspiring, as do the people in the field, the park rangers in the field. You'll meet the men and women uh, who, who run the programs there. And, you know, we're drawn to these places because we are drawn to these stories. And we think these stories are so exciting that we can't wait to tell people about them. And uh, my job in the regional office is a little different. I'm not face to face with with visitors anymore, but I am there to uplift and support any of the stories that uh, people at the parks are telling. And they're always finding new ways to tell these stories. Um, they're, they're looking to show different parts of the history that people may not be so aware of. Uh, Van Buren, for example, he had a very complicated uh, um, relationship with enslavement. Um, he did own slaves. But um, later in his life, after his presidency, he actually ran for president again on the free soil uh, platform, uh, which was pretty anti-slavery for, I believe it was 1848. So, so we find all sorts of different ways to bring different aspects of the story out to you that, that you may not have been aware of before. One of the things that we've noticed in, in tourism is people looking for stories like you, like you point out. Um, but stories that have some sort of a reflection on who we are today. What are some ways the parks have grown to better reflect everybody that's here in America? That's a wonderful question because that's something we really care about a lot in the National Park Service. Uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility are a focus uh, right now in the National Park Service. Uh, and um, we're always looking at ways to expand the story, to include the people whose stories were not told for one reason or another, maybe they were women. I mean, and that's half the population. And in Revolutionary War sites, when I've visited in the bicentennial year, because I'm that old, um, people weren't talking about the roles of women in those parks. They are now. Um, people are looking at the um, role of enslavement in places where it might not have been brought up, like Martin Van Van Buren. Um, there are, we're of course limited to what stories we can tell by the sites which are chosen by Congress or pr the president to be included in the National Park Service. We don't choose those sites, they do. But um, we're looking at an expansion of those, those sites so that we can cover more aspects of American history. Um, another story that we're starting to tell in Valley Forge, where there's a couple of them. There's a monument now to African-American soldiers. I did not know that there were African-American soldiers in the Continental Army literally until I worked for a Revolutionary War National Park Service site uh, as an adult. Nobody taught me that as a child. Um, but um, I, that's why I was just assumed that the Continental Army was segregated like it had been ever since then. Not so. That's not hmm. a part of the story. Another part of the story at Valley Forge is the story of Baron von Steuben, um, who uh, helped uh, teach people how to march and how to um, uh, how to be a real army. He really helped pull the army together. Uh, Baron, Baron von Steuben 
is almost certainly someone that we would now consider LGBTQ. Uh, people at that time were much more circumspect about putting anything in writing because you know those were crimes that could be prosecuted for things like that. Uh, but you know all the hairpins are there for Baron von Steuben. Those are a couple of examples. How would you like your friends and family to describe you? Um, although I'm no longer technically a park ranger, park ranger is the term that I love. And, You're wearing and I'm the very shirt. proud. And I'm wearing the shirt. Yes, you can see it <laughs> over your audio here uh, and the badge. Um, so that's something, that's a role I've played for 33 years. I'm, I'm very happy to be considered as a park ranger. Um, and I'll always be a park ranger, even if I'm at the regional office helping other people uh, do their jobs. What advice would you have for a young person today who walks into a park and learns something and it really opens up their eyes? Well, I remember being, you know, one of those people uh, and going up to a park ranger and asking, how did you get a job like this? Which gets a laugh when you talk to other National Park Service people about that, because apparently we all started that way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I would recommend that that you start that conversation uh, with somebody in uniform. Uh, I would also recommend that you seriously consider volunteering in the National Park Service, because first of all, we rely on our volunteers more than we ever did before, and they fill a lot of uh, important functions for us. They could be in front with visitors, or they could be behind the scenes um, doing something like um, um, curatorial work uh, or, or building a footbridge. I mean, there are so many things that we need uh, volunteers to do. That will get you something on your resume. Uh -huh. that you would be able to put in if you applied for a seasonal position in the National Park Service. Uh, you're not going to go straight into a permanent position, most likely, but uh, you can start with, with a seasonal position or two or three, uh, like we all did, and uh, that will make you go a little higher in, um, in the rankings. So do you yourself enjoy traveling? I do actually, I do enjoy travel. Um, I, my dad was Air Force, so I traveled a lot very early. So I like it. What's on your bucket list or where is on your bucket list? Well, you mentioned arches and I have not seen arches. Um, I was watching something last night on Rocky Mountain. That looks really great. Those are a couple that come to mind. Um, I have not yet been to Alaska uh, since my family was military. I, I have a sister who was born in Alaska, so I'd hmm. kind of like to see that. Um, I'd like to see some glaciers before they disappear or melt. What's something I didn't ask that you wish I did? The national parks study climate change, and we talk about climate change because it's happening right now and it's affecting our parks right now and it will continue to affect our parks in the future um, i was just recently at colonial national historical park and uh, the island of jamestown is sinking it's there's not going to be a lot left of that in a few decades so we are doing what we can with archaeological digs now so that we can find out as much as we can before it's underwater habitats that we thought we knew or we we did know those those are going to migrate and and that's just 
it's going to happen. So what we do in the National Park Service is we have a, a policy of either it's RAD, R-A-D, resist, accept, or divert. Uh, in some cases, we believe that we can save something. Um, Ellis Island and Statue of Liberty, we're building a nice wall around those islands because the sea level is going to rise. It is rising now. We've been monitoring this for decades and we know this. So that's that's just a fact. Uh, so uh, those walls are, are going up to save those places. So in that case, we're resisting. Um, in Jamestown, it's more of an acceptance because we're not going to be able to build a wall around everything that we want to preserve. Uh, so, you know, we're doing what we can with the resource while we can. Uh, and in other situations, uh, we hope to be able to divert the effects of, of climate change over so that they have minimal effect uh, for National Park Service sites. Uh, but you are going to see changes in places that, that for most of my life, we considered unchanging and unchangeable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was in Sequoia National Park earlier this year and, and just to see the, the landscape after wildfires and, and, you know, a grove that had been saved, um, uh -huh. but hundreds and hundreds of acres around it were just decimated. And, you know, we talk about things like forest fires or we hear about things like forest fires in the news. And um, what are some things that visitors can do while they're in the parks to help make sure that they're around for the next generation? That's so different depending on which park you're at. Um, if you're in a natural site, you know, there are little things that are actually really important, like staying on the trails, uh, because if you go off the trails, you're you're going to create more wear and tear on the resource, and that's going to cause erosion, and that's something that we have to mitigate, and that costs a lot of your tax dollars. So, you know, in places like that, little things can really add up um, to, to a lot when you have, you know, millions of visitors going through your park every year. In um, historic sites, what can we do? Um, I simply advise people to go there with an open mind and have lots of open-ended questions. You will learn something, no doubt about it. Um, some things will will be really fun to learn. Some things will be not so fun to learn. Uh, but history is complex. And the point of learning history uh, is is to learn that complexity because people are complex. So that that's just how it is. Um, I, I would simply say, you know, follow the directions that you have in the individual national park that you go to. Fantastic. Well, John, I thank you for joining me today. I'm I'm glad that you and I have gotten to know each other a little bit over the last few months, and I hope to chat with you again sometime soon. That would be a pleasure. I'd welcome that. Thank you.